Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I am joined by Melanie Eusebi. Melanie is an entrepreneur, author and director of diversity, equity and inclusion at Google. In this episode today, we're going to be discussing entrepreneurship, financial wellness, and whether the advice to take risks is always good advice. Welcome to the podcast, Melanie. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I've been a big follower of your work, so it's been an honor to be here. Oh, well, ditto. I'm really, really pleased we've been able to put the time in today. I think, you know, regular listeners of this show will know that my expertise is wellness, the well-being industry. That includes mental, physical health, emerging wellness technology, physical fitness, but everything else that's, you know, I suppose, holistically uh, incorporated in our well-being. Now, I really wanted to talk to you, of course, about financial wellness and how this can impact all of our all everything stress interpersonal relationships sleep everything and of course you've written a whole book about this topic so who better to ask so for anyone listening who maybe hasn't heard of this term before could you tell us could we dive straight into that could you tell us what financial wellness is sure so thank you so much for even just it is such a big term right now you're seeing so many books out there in regards to looking at our wellness not just our our health and financial wellness critically is looking at the whole picture it's not a sudden infusion of money into your life it's not about being wealthy or being rich it's really just saying i'm on a journey and i'm comfortable with where i am in my journey i know where i've come from and I know where I'm going. I'm heading towards my own personal goals. It's thinking up, you know, your whole life with your finances, because quite frankly, historically, our finances, particularly for women, have been really kind of divorced from every other aspect of our well-being. It's really, really similar to, you know, your physical fitness or even kind of your mental health and wellness. It's really, it's it's looking at how finances, how your finances contribute towards your overall state of well-being. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting concept just in general to understand when we say the words finance or money or wealth, sometimes people assume that that conversation is for people who have money. And that's something that I've heard in the past where people say, well, I don't, I'm not interested in listening to a finance podcast or reading a finance book because I don't have a lot of money. And those topics are for people who have lots of money to manage when actually, no matter what your current financial situation is, we're all every single day dealing with money, making decisions based upon money and having to manage this part of our lives. And every, you know, it's, and again, we've been so divorced with our money, but quite frankly, every person is a participant in our economy. So everyone's an investor, whether it's about the brands that you buy or the businesses that you interact with, it's, you know, how you get money, how you gain money to, for your own spend, for your own use. It, these are all indicators of kind of your position with your finances and the economy. So you you can't escape. Mm-hmm. Money is the way that we kind of transact on things in the, on this planet. And so you do mm-hmm. have, whether you like it or not, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, you have a role to play 
And so that's why it's so critical that that's one of my, my big messages is just kind of take ownership of that, take ownership and, and you know, and, and, and so to enjoy it rather than see it as something that should be feared. Well, yeah, because this word fear is another thing that at the moment, of course, in the last few months and years, we've seen all of these, I suppose, catastrophizing headlines around inflation, around uh, the financial crisis, all of these words, which, of course, the word fear, that's kind of the general feeling, right? When it, when you talk about the fact that interest rates are at an all-time high, inflation, the cost of living crisis, the word crisis okay. is just, you see it every day in align with how we should be thinking about money and, and, and spending our money. So, yeah, do you think that how, I suppose, do you think that that impacts people's... Uh, I guess, feeling around money at the moment. That's the thing. It's uh, we are going to go through the winds of change and the winds of crises. And so financial wellness is also about how do we navigate those winds of change and winds of crises. So, you know, it does bring us right close to home and say, and, and ask us the question, what's important to us? Like, what do we really need? What do we really value in our lives? So it's really, really valuable. But on the other hand, it can quite frankly scare us. It, my book on financial wellness, you know, it was written primarily during the COVID crisis where people were just, you know, upset and and terrified, quite frankly, over what was to come. You know, everyone was told you should have three months savings, three months savings. And then we realized quite quickly that a lot of us didn't have three months savings of those emergency savings. So it can be used to fear monger. But actually, it has, you can see now that over these last five years, particularly, but really over the last three years, you're seeing that there's been a real move to kind of get our finances in check personally, to really get closer to our finances. There are more books on financial kind of wellness and financial planning than ever, the ones that are accessible. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there are, the winds of change do come and you know, I don't want to just kind of gloss them over and not kind of take into account like how how scary it is, how scary it is for people to navigate this, particularly when, you know, you you, you know that you don't have enough really to make ends meet. And so that's why it's critical that, you know, we kind of have a good under a good we start from a good place of kind of knowing that our needs, knowing our our values, and then we can go from there because there are many ways for us to get help. You know, whether it be knowledge or whether it be, you know, advice or, you know, whether it even be finances as well. Yeah. And I think I like this idea of winds of change and how, yes, of course, fear can cause us to freeze, you know, this fight or flight or freeze, but it can also cause us to take action. And I think that's something that's in, that's I've definitely seen amongst my peers. If I think back to before the pandemic, maybe me and my peers, you know, we're in our early thirties then, maybe we didn't really talk that much with each other anyway, in my friendship group around our personal finances. It was kind of just, you know, maybe you had your mortgage, maybe you were renting, but we didn't really talk about it as much. Then I think as you just described during the pandemic and maybe being older, different things were happening, you know, for me anecdotally, you know, getting divorced, having to think about a mortgage, things like that. And now I think there's a lot more of conversation and whether it's because of podcasts, books, information, LinkedIn, I feel like there's so many and I follow quite a few uh, people that put out a lot of really great content about finances, about pensions, about mortgages and in in an appealing way that doesn't feel like, oh, pension, boring, come on. It's actually engaging. So I think a positive 
shift hopefully is that people will take action and they'll think actually this is something that I can learn about it's interesting it's important and once you kind of start it can be a bit of a rabbit hole I think I I certainly went into that listening to a lot of podcasts and feeling like actually I can actually take action and and be empowered to do so yeah exactly that's exactly what happened is that we the, the conversation space has just opened up and it's been made more accessible by so many of my kind of co-practitioners in this space and quite frankly um because women's voices are more involved in it now you can tell there's just a level of authenticity most of my practitioners like kind of co-practitioners in this space people who are really advocating for this are you know it's not because they're perfect they're not kind of financial planners from on high it's because you know they were sharing their journeys you know, while they were, you know, getting themselves out of debt or while they were saving for their first home. And they were able to build communities around that building of a journey. And so you can see that kind of people are coming together in new, fresh, authentic ways, really saying, actually, I don't know that there was a, it was a really weird place that I grew up in financial services, meaning I've worked in financial services, like started off as a teller, started off like in the front lines of banking. And I didn't know anything about my finances. Like I knew I made a bit more money than everybody else because I worked in banking, but I didn't know anything about just kind of the mechanics of it in terms of how it applied to my own life. And so there was a lot of shame about that, right? Because I was making money, but I just didn't know really what to do with it. And it's only because I was visiting my friend because every week we would watch uh, real or every kind of two weeks, we'd watch Real Housewives of Atlanta together. And then one time she was like, let me just take out my computer and do my receipts and my budgeting, my expenses for the week while you're here. Is that okay while we're doing this? And I'm like, there are no problem. But after a while, you feel kind of dry, just kind of sitting there. Because she's like working, receipts, you know, doing all this thing. And I'm like, what are you doing? And then that's how it started. It started to be two of us. And then all of a sudden, it was four of us. And then all of a sudden, it was six of us. And as we started kind of just doing regular budgeting together, and we start, and it was, you know, playing hip hop music in the background. There was wine, there's snacks. We called them budget parties. When we started doing that, then we started thinking about big things like, you know, just not how much are you paying for this bill or what interest rate you're getting on a savings product, but it's also about, you know, we want to homes, you know, we want to pay, save up for fertility treatments. We want to save and pay up for, you know, maybe increase education. We want to change careers. Like all of a sudden we started expanding the scope of the meeting because, you know, we realized that money is, it touches every part of our life in terms of how free we were as a people, right? So it starts with like the rabbit hole of, okay, let me just do a little budgeting, you know, like to figure out where my money's going. And then it can go into this wonderful, glorious place of empowerment. Oh my gosh, I love this. The budget parties. I feel like I'm going to have to round up a few friends who aren't really yet on this page and I'm tight slowly trying to pull them over to my side. And I feel like this could be a way to entice them to get their head out of the sand. And now this is something that in the book, I know you talk about mindset and kind of identifying how you approach money, what's your history with money and your mindset of money. Now, I'm a big believer and I talk a lot on this podcast about change and people can change their mindset. They can change their attitude. They can change their life 
life they can truly change and transform from one season of their life. They have no idea. No one really truly knows. I don't believe what is possible for themselves or for their lives. Anything is possible. But this idea of mindset and how if you have a mindset around money, for example, that says maybe you grew up with scarcity and so therefore you always feel like you're never nothing. You never have enough, you know, like hold on to money. Or maybe if you grew up with an idea that people who have money are people who have been Uh, greedy and mean and you know this kind of narrative that I certainly heard growing up which was about kind of just capitalism is bad and people with money it's like it's a bad thing so then if you do for example find yourself in a position later on in life where you've worked hard and you're starting to earn money then you can feel guilt and shame and you don't want I don't you know I went through that transition myself and I felt as though I didn't want to yeah I felt a guilt and a shame around around going, okay, I'm going to save in a pension. I'm going to invest in the S&P 500. I'm going to pay on my mortgage. There was this guilt and shame around having more money. And so there's all these different things to do with mindset. But the key part I want to focus on with you, Melanie, is how can people, regardless of what their current money mindset is, how can they almost like shed that skin and be willing and open to changing and transforming it completely? So first off, it's the recognition. Right. So you have to recognize that you have mindsets around money. Like that's just the way it is. And so it's about kind of appealing the layers a little bit to see what kind of mindsets you may hold. So, for example, you know, my mother worked as an NHS nurse really, really hard, saved her pennies. My dad, he was definitely more kind of social with his money. So he definitely enjoyed his money a little bit more where my mom had like three jobs at sometimes two jobs. So I developed this work hard, play hard kind of mentality which is kind of unsustainable generally in terms of your life. Like it's like, it's a lot. (laughs) You can do a season maybe playing and a season of working, but to do them both for an extended period of time, it's, it was way too much. Um, My mom, um, you know, didn't really, she wasn't the person to kind of sit at the kitchen table and do the family budgets. Right. So like in terms of the bill payments and things of the like, and neither was my dad. And so again, I just grew up with this kind of, it appears out of nowhere, you know, kind of money, like I didn't really have a good connection with where money comes from and then where it needs to go in terms of sustaining a life. So that's where, so I had to investigate what my money mindsets were. Um, And so there are questionnaires all over the place. I have a questionnaire on, um, as part of the book as well, just to examine where they're coming from. And then it's, you need to start from that point. So you need to acknowledge where it may need changing. I was raised in the church. And so there are quite a few biblical verses that indicate that money is the root of all evil. Again, what does that speak to me in terms of, is it okay for me to be rich? It was really important for me to live according to my values and live help, you know, kind of helping people and protecting people, being a voice for people. But then how did that reconcile with being rich? Mm. It didn't, you know, in my, with my mindset. So, you know, awareness, usually what happens is that um, when you start to have awareness of your own mindsets, you can kind of extend your thinking a little bit to say, okay, well, how is this not serving me anymore? Like, is this actually the truth? Is money the root of all evil? Of course not. You know, is that, you know, I have have to work hard and play hard and that's how I manage my money? No, of course not. You know, like, is it that actually money just kind of falls from the sky and gets me what I want? No, of course not. You have to manage, you know, you have to manage your money on a regular basis. And so in the examination of your mindsets, all you have to do with everything in your life, not just your mindsets, but even physical things in your life, does it serve you? Does it still serve you? Does it still meet the needs of who you are today and actually and where you want to go? 
And that could be anything from, you know, your a, a random table or a, a random cup that's in your cupboard <laughs> to, you know, a mindset that you may hold. So first it's examination and identification of a mindset and a belief. And then just asking the simple question while you're walking down the road to the tube, does this mindset belief, does it serve me? And you'll find that a lot of them, you know, you may have to learn how to let go and replace them with new mindsets that actually money can be an empowering tool to help others. It's one of the necessary tools sometimes to help others or that, you know, what you, um, in order for you to kind of um, be healthy and happy with your money, then you should probably know how it's coming in and where it's going. Mm -hmm. So it's those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and anecdotally as well, I think it's, I always want people to hear that you can really change your mindset and your yes. life because I definitely yes. did. And exactly as you just described, I think I had to, rep the replacing part is really the most important for me because if you say, okay. okay, this doesn't serve you anymore. If you don't replace it with something else, it's almost like, well, what's the focus? So for me, I replaced it with a term, which I don't know where I really picked this up, but I, it just felt good. And it was about economic security. And that's how I mm -hmm. felt like, okay, I can reconcile with this idea that growing up with my mother who is a single mother and she didn't have a lot of money and she had that scarcity of never enough, never enough. It was stressful, you know, money was stressful if you couldn't pay for something. So me growing up hearing that, I, as soon as I became a mother and, you know, as an entrepreneur and building all these things, I didn't think, you know, that shame around earning money and wealth is bad. I had to change that around in my mind to become, you're creating economic security for yourself and for your family for your son, for, you know, and as soon as I framed it in that way, you know, I'm not going to feel guilt and shame about going out and earning money, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Like that's how I, I, I positioned money for me was freedom still is really. Okay. So that my savings, they're called freedom funds, freedom fund one, freedom fund two. Um, you know, like I, you know, you, you can kind of change the name in your app sometimes. It's a little thing is just to change our mindset to know that this is what I'm not just having an emergency surgery tomorrow because that sounds kind of, you know, or my, my pensions. Those like just even elicit a feeling of dryness within me. I can't even describe it. <laughs> so that's why. That's it. Yeah. One of, one of my friends, Pilar, she was like, she calls it her live your best life fund. Yeah. You know, because again, it's just, and we did it together as part of these budget parties where we just renamed the pots of money that we had in our life so that they spoke to who we are, it speaks to, to who we are. So you're right. Like this is my, not my son's, like my son's freedom fund is Max's freedom fund, you know? So he has, because that's what, uh, that's what money represents to me. That's why I had, that's what I had to turn, turn things around in my head that actually having money meant that I would have more freedom to to do what I want to do. I love it. I mean, we could definitely talk longer about this topic, but there's a lot of other things I want to cover with you today, Melanie. And one is entrepreneurship. Now, I know that many people yeah. listening to this podcast, maybe if they're not 100%, you know, building their business or doing the solopreneur thing, they might have a side hustle. They might be considering leaving their job to pursue something more full time as, you know, building their own thing. And I would always encourage people to do this, but I do think in the last few years, maybe decade actually, this idea of entrepreneurship being on a pedestal, being glamorized, being like the ultimate, you know, everybody wants to put entrepreneur in their bio. And it's kind of, I don't know, I feel like there's pros and cons to that. Uh, and I think we hear a lot of the success stories of entrepreneurship and maybe we don't hear all of the kind of the the failure stories the kind of you know the real oh it took me five years six years seven years eight years before I managed to get to where I want to be the rejection the kind of constant feeling of 
constant feeling of rejection, I think, which is kind of a part of entrepreneurship. So if someone is listening to this podcast and they're in that bracket themselves, they're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm half in, I'm half out. What do you believe are the most critical skills, the qualities that someone who's considering entrepreneurship needs and should develop? Because it's not for everybody, is it? No, entrepreneurship is not for everybody and it's not for every season as well. So just because it's not for you this season doesn't mean that you can't kind of work towards having a season where entrepreneurship is for you. Because, you know, I mentioned earlier, I worked for financial services through the beginning of my career. And then I left that career to um, work for somebody else to start working for myself. And now I work for somebody else again. And I had a very successful run being an entrepreneur of a high profile business, but it was there's a season for me now that I was like, okay, actually, no, I want to work for somebody else. So um, sometimes that's entrepreneur title. What happens is that people are like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. And it's like this whole like lifelong title. And I'm like, eh, calm down. It's not that deep. Yeah. It <laughs> can be like, it's like, a, it's like any job. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you're on your own personal learning journey. And I think that's one of the things that entrepreneurs, you know, um, one of the critical skills is about kind of seeing your life as a learning journey that as entrepreneurship is constantly learning. You are that Jill or Jack of all trades in the beginning where you, you know, today you're marketing, but tomorrow you're ops and the next day you're finance and you have to be open to, you know, whatever it takes to get your business off the ground before you can kind of staff it up with people around you that will be able to do those, those, you know, kind of perform those those needs better than you but right you just do have to be a bit of a, a jill or jack of all trades in the beginning and be flexible enough to be able to cover it but then no plans for the future means that maybe you're going to be outsourcing it or bringing someone in-house to specifically deal with it yeah do you have any advice for people in that first stage when you do have to as you say you need to do all the things you might be doing your favorite part for example if i think about myself the things that i enjoy are you know, face to face with other people. So doing something like this, of course, I enjoy this and I'm, I love to talk and I love to host. So going to do public speaking, the things where I'm, you know, delivering things, that's my favorite part. Now for me, I know that I have, let's call it an intolerance or an allergy to admin. So I really don't like that. So when you've got things yeah. in your business, which you know are your strengths and some of your weaknesses, later on, of course, you might outsource that and you might say, okay, send that here and there. But when it's just you and there's like eight things, what advice would you give to people in terms of figuring out, okay, what are your strengths and weaknesses? And what do you do with the stuff that you're just not that good at? Because everyone's going to have something they're not good at, but you kind of at the, at the start have to, to figure it out yourself. Yeah, you do. So, and you will have things that you're not good at. I have things that I am, you know, I was not good at that I'm not good at. And so there are a few choices for you. Like number one, quite frankly, as the entrepreneur, you need to learn how to get it done. Like that is what differentiates kind of successful entrepreneurs from non-successful entrepreneurs. And there are many routes to getting it done though. Sometimes you just have to eat that frog. That's that famous book where you pretty much just have to attack it and get it done to a minimum viable kind of product where, so maybe it's not like this all kind of bells and whistles um, kind of financial plan or business plan, but it's enough of a business plan to get you through until you have the money or the resource to kind of outsource it to a business strategist or a financial consultant or an accountant that might be able to help you. So yes, I'm not like the best in regards to kind of spreadsheets, but 
I was like, no, but now you need the financial plan. Like everyone asks you for this financial business plan. You just got to do it. Sit your backside down, get some snacks. Always snacks. It's a snack. <laughs> and just sit your backside down and do it. Because un- unfortunately or fortunately, entrepreneurs get it done. However, they also start to learn as as we grow in our entrepreneurial journey. And you start to learn, eh, this is not for me, you know. Someone could do this better. Yeah. But let me see. I can go off and make, you know, a thousand pounds by doing this little marketing and branding campaign. Or they can go and spend, you know, over one day, or I can spend one day doing my business plan and I can pay someone 100 pounds to do it. Hmm, what's better for me? What is better for the business? So you start to, if you start to kind of equivocate your time, say, where is it best placed? Like, where can I give, you know, only I can kind of give or do what needs to be done here and I can outsource this and it's more better value for me to outsource this then that's when you start to kind of grow in your maturity as an entrepreneur. So um, I quickly hired an EA because uh, part of my business was speaking out and, um, you know, kind of it was and the admin, the back and forth of, of you know, kind of planning what I was going to speak and, you know, you know, publicize the book and all kinds of stuff. And I was just like, wait a minute, this is taking a lot of my time. And what I could be doing is writing articles or podcasts or blogs so, and I outsource that portion, the planning and schedule of my speaking engagements to to Joe, my EA, and it works fantastic. So, because mm. I'm not very good at admin either. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And also I recently heard, so I think strengths and weaknesses can be, of course, those practical things. What am I good at? What am I not good at? But also within our yeah. personality, we can have strengths and weaknesses. And I listened to a podcast recently where the guest was talking to Tim Ferriss and he was talking about setting rules and saying that if you create rules, then you have to stick to them. And the to put it into, I guess, a real tangible example is that I feel like a, a downside of my personality and wanting to say yes to opportunities, yes to helping out friends, yes to being here and there and everything and everywhere is that you become Mm -hmm. overcommitted and you can't Mm -hmm. do everything to the best if you're doing too many things. So my, Mm -hmm. I guess, uh, weakness was saying yes, overcommitment. So then when I heard Mm -hmm. this guest talking about rules, he said, for example, a rule might be, I only do, for this was the guest, not me. He might say, I only do 10 speaking engagements in a whole year. And once those 10 are full, um, I cannot take more. That is a rule. And then basically, if you when, if you live by that rule, if you communicate that rule to other people, it helps you with your own personal weakness of when you know someone's asking you and you really want to help them out. And they say, oh, but Adrian, you know, if you if you say yes, then we'll be able to get this. You know, and, you, and my thing was often yeah. I would talk myself, make all the excuses in the world as to why I'd just say yes to just this one. And then next time I'm going to say no. And I thought that was just a really useful and helpful framework, which I'm now going to start to adopt, which is like, Adrienne, just make some rules and then share them, communicate them with people and then just live those rules. Exactly. It's per- particularly, again, like with women and speaking engagements, you know, a lot of women get asked to speak, particularly in the beginning of their careers, the beginning of their journeys for free. Right. And so they all people are always asking me, like, how do I start getting paid for some of the work that I do? And I was like, okay, look, just, you know what? I want you to, you know, it's a bigger exercise of looking at how you spend your time and how much time do you want to dedicate towards um, speaking? And then how much time do you want to dedicate your, you know, your your time towards freedom? I mean, sorry, towards uh, freeness. Mm -hmm. So it is important for me to give back. So I'll never say, like, but I, so I've slotted out the amount of freeness that I give 
And that means like total freeness, like just, it has nothing to do with forwarding any of my business kind of plans or careers or goals. It just is just freeness. And I have play. I was like, okay, I have say five slots every week. And that's what this is about or every month, sorry, or every year. And once those are full, it's over and it's much easier for me to say no. And also quite frankly, it helps to have an EA. My EA can say no for me. Yeah. Um, and, and because sometimes people don't like to hear no at all. And some people don't like so. to say it, right? I think some people don't like to say no. Yeah. We, we, I used to yeah. say I'm a recovering people pleaser because now I can say no. <laughs> yeah, I've learned exactly. that skill. We can say no, exactly. And But then there, in order for you to say no, I want you to have a full kind of every moment of your life it needs to be your own. And what I mean by that is that, you know, people can't, it's much easier to say no when people cannot slot things into your life when you have it, you know, when you've committed to the time and what you're doing in that time. Now, you could be watching Frasier on the sofa for half an hour. I ain't changing what you're doing with that time. I'm just saying commit to what you're doing. So I'm when I'm watching Frasier on the sofa, I'm committed to that. And that means I will not let people, you know, kind of roll into that however they please with whatever they want to yes free time is not the same as availability uh, it's not the same it's not the same it is so not the same yeah okay well moving on from this i'm jumping all over the place but as someone who i often talk about i sometimes call myself a futurist you know i really look to the next 10 years five years and i try and look and often see trends and predictions and i think as an entrepreneur and maybe maybe that's just always been my mindset even as a child growing up i think i used to think like this is kind of waiting when something's here and everyone's talking about it and everyone's doing it I feel like in the space of entrepreneurship people are like you know they want to be innovative they want to be first they want to be fast which we know isn't always possible but would you say firstly that looking ahead and looking at future trends within the industry that you're working in is a a useful thing to do and how can entrepreneurs I suppose start to think in that way and prepare for things that may potentially be coming in the next decade Oh, well, Steph, I think it's essential. Um, I think it's essential. And quite frankly, if you are, you know, entrepreneurs, we usually are creating a product or service because we see a gap and we see that there's interest there. And, you know, or we're interested in whatever for personal reasons or professional reasons, but we're interested in filling that gap. And so I'm hoping that you already kind of are inclined towards looking for trends and opportunities. What was really helpful for me in terms of trends and opportunities in the UK, when I started the Black Race Business Awards, I literally just set up a bunch of Google alerts on, on keywords, you know, in regards to diversity, in regards to kind of Black or awards or, you know, just kind of the keywords in the kind of fields that I was working in. And then you can just get the Google alert saying these are when the, you know, this is when these uh, key terms are mentioned, but it helped because I was already interested in the idea. Mm. I was already interested in the field. And, but, uh, so it, it was essential for me to kind of keep on top of the conversations. And so it's always important for you to keep on top of the conversations that are happening in your industry. And then hopefully if you're choosing something that you're really interested in, that it's that not that much of a hardship. You can kind of just scan through. So recently in the area of diversity for for you know, I would say, you know, I'm seeing all these things happening in regards to changes in legislation or, you know, kind of 
the way that we're viewing groups and the way that we are, you know, the nomenclature that we use. And, and, and it's important for me to keep abreast of that. So I'd say, quite frankly, just in the beginning, set up the Google Alerts. That's, yeah, that's really that's great advice. That I'm going to take this on board myself because that's really great advice that I yeah. hadn't actually thought of. And I feel like it's a really practical thing that many people probably haven't thought of. But as soon as you're doing it, A, you're going to get, as you say, the up-to-date information. But also I think it kind of keeps your momentum and your... Because sometimes people yeah. will look at something, let's be honest, and if it's, a, if it's a project for tomorrow, it can stay tomorrow. But I think seeing exactly. those alerts is actually going to keep your momentum to say, keep looking at how this is developing, how this is emerging. Um, exactly. I think in the world of well-being of course there are so many things constantly and my kind of I guess key focus is wearable devices wearable technology and looking at okay if we're seeing all this information on our bodies for example how many how many minutes we slept how many steps we took you know wearing a continuous glucose monitor for example or you know there's things now to do with uh, safety and medical conditions such as fall detection for someone who might have epilepsy like there's so many things and there's all these numbers and I feel like really figuring out what we can do with all these numbers and per- personalize our own health and our own well-being i think there's going to be so much innovation and so much change in this industry but at the moment it's all there the pieces are all there but people are just they have yep. like 12 apps where they look at okay my sleep here they track yeah. their cycle there they go for a run and track the race all over the place so yeah i'm kind of interested in looking at how are these things going to come together what do as you said what do people need and what do people actually want because telling people you know do this if people don't want it there's no point um so that's i guess from my perspective how i'm looking at that and i think um people could yeah whatever industry i suppose they're in look at the things that they personally want and need themselves and the per- the problems that they're facing when they're trying to figure out you know what it is they want and then if there's a way step in you know that's where you then step in and build something Exactly. Like I can tell you, there's an article, I think in the Times a few days ago, it was certainly this week in the Times of London, um, or that uh, speaks to wearables and have we gone too far and what's the information that we actually need. So just by you telling me that, that's another thing as well, having the conversations and declaring your interests, uh, declaring what you're interested in, speaking to people, then what happens is that that mind association thing happens. So now all of a sudden, I, you know, yes, I may have thought of you in regards to wellness before this podcast, but now I'm like, oh, wearables. I see. And then when I see that there's the wearables conference that's happening next year, then I'm like, oh, Adrian. Or if I read that article, then all of a sudden I put the, you know, and that's what you do have to do as an entrepreneur. You do have to kind of sometimes be out there in groups and have conversations in your circles and industries so that there's a mind association in your peers so that you can start to be introduced by people. So now, you know, people thought of me as, black awards girl and so that's why every time something was happening in the corporate space mm. then they were like oh so talk to mel oh talk to mel oh talk to mel there's a light association thing happens yes yeah exactly tell people what you're interested in yes. what you do why yes. you do it because people assume as well that people know i say that to friends i'm like yes. tell people and sometimes they feel a little bit of a way about you know oh i'm like post this on linkedin post this on wherever just tell people what you do because no one's gonna come and ask you you know oh what yeah what do you actually nobody. do in your role they don't know yeah nobody nobody that's good so the next big topic that i am so keen to get your views on melanie is risk and specifically this is something i've thought about maybe 
quite a few times in the last year when I've read quotes about risk, when I've heard people talking about risk and failure. And it's typically the same kind of people saying the same kind of thing, which is that, you know, we hear the big tech giants, we hear the big success stories saying, you have to be willing to take risks as an entrepreneur. You have to be willing to risk it all, risk big and fail fast and embrace failure. And I feel like this conversation of risk and failure is celebrated and we're encouraged to take risks and encouraged to fail. Now, of course, I'm sure there is, of course, there's some upside, that kind of caveat, there can be some upside to us saying, don't be afraid to fail. However, I feel as though there's never kind of a deeper layer in the conversation, which is about who can take risks, when you can take risks, the privilege of a safety net for many people who are telling us to take risks. And I feel like personally in my life, I haven't been able to take that many risks. Honestly, I've taken some calculated risks and I might've made myself a real big backup, but there was no safety net for me. You know, I didn't, as I said, I didn't um, grow up with parents that could support me emotionally, financially, whatever. I didn't go to higher education. I had to kind of, every decision I made, I had to be really considered what if if this all went wrong what would be the fallout of that and i think the idea of telling people that if less they're willing to risk it all or take big risks they're not really an entrepreneur or they're never going to succeed i don't think is true but this is a very loaded question so melanie what are your thoughts on the <laughs> advice to entrepreneurs to young people and specifically i suppose to women and people of color when it comes to being willing to take risks oh you know what it is Okay, I, you know, I've been, first of all, the port, investment portfolios of women generally who take less risk generally perform better at the end of their careers than the ones I'm selected by men just because of the different risk profiles. So it, it may be that, yes, they don't take as many risks, but because it's more a, a more measured playing field, or a more measured journey rather than kind of the ups and downs of um, the men's portfolios, then because they were, you know, because their appetite for risk is higher, then you'll find that women's portfolios actually outperform men's portfolios. So I just want to kind of, you know, kind of knock some of this on the head. Women, people of color as well, I would say, um, those who have just kind of kind of a different family structures, very different um, approaches to risk because sometimes it's, it's just all about in regards to our, our backgrounds and also our caregiving responsibilities. Like I'm not just taking risks for myself. I'm taking risks for my mom. I'm taking risks for my son. Like I'm taking, it's, it's a, there's a lot of risk going on. It's just not, I'm um, particularly, you know, in my career choice, I'm going to the primary bread winner. And I was like, I just won't be risky, risking, risking everything all over the place. Mm. <laughs> it's just calm down, people calm down. <laughs> <laughs> so um there is you can take big risks but just remember risk is not mitigation right so and what i mean by that is just because it's a big risk doesn't mean you don't you can't kind of build a big mitigation underneath mm-hmm. so for my first like big business i had the mitigation of funding from a sponsor from a corporate sponsor the nature of my business was that i was getting corporate funding or even the whole structure of your business as an entrepreneur could be that, okay, you're going to take your big bets, your big risks over here, but then you have maybe your consistent flow of money 
that will, you know, keep your business alive, whether it be through, you know, online courses or speaking engagements or whatever, like something that's a bit more consistent. And then, you know, you're going to um, be, you know, explore the more risky areas of perhaps developing an app or things like, you know, things that may not kind of bring in the money right away. So please don't um, want in our heads to differentiate kind of, or to kind of really isolate what risk is. Because you can take big risks, but you can also be very good about mitigating the risk and say, and building yourself that safety net, building yourself that umbrella. That's why when we celebrate sometimes entrepreneurship, we kind of associate the idea with youth. And what we see is that with um, people of color, with underrepresented groups here in the UK, as well as, as women, we'll see that they start their businesses later on. Usually they start their business working a bit of full-time job, you know, so that they're, you know, getting known for the, kind of getting used to the corporate structures, managing people, being managed, getting a little bit of funds together, that kind of thing, before they kind of leap into the entrepreneur life. It's a different route just because, number one, that kind of big source of funding is not necessarily available to us, but also it's because we also grow credibility and we appear to be less risky to others in terms of, you know, people investing in us and investing in our, our products and services. Mm. So risk is, risk is risk. Like don't take it on. Don't take on these. Like I need you to just focus on your journey and focus on what we, what freedom means for you and how you can get there without like losing your tail. Mm. Yeah. And for some, so for some people, because they might think it's quite contradictory if they know me well and my message, because often I'm the ultimate encourager. You know, I used to call myself a professional mm-hmm. encourager because I say to people, I do believe, I'm like, if you're willing to do the work, if you're willing to, you know, you can achieve it, you can do it, set those big audacious goals. And I do that for myself. I live that myself. But I think it's possible to set big audacious goals to work hard, to strive, to achieve and without yeah, I guess, yeah, I think I don't want people to think it's contradictory because they're like, well, Adrienne, you, you're the encourager that says, you know, dream bigger. I am, but I also think you don't <laughs> necessarily have to, yeah, take on that uh, that noise and that advice that says fail fail fast, you know, risk, 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 because I think it adds, a, and you know, we started off this conversation talking about well-being. I think it really adds a level, of course, of pressure, debilitating stress. If you know that something is a risk and that if you do not make this work, then, you know, you're really in trouble. What's the kind of energy that you're going to have? How are you going to manage the energy to sustain the effort to work with people exactly. and to build something if every day feels like your back is against the ropes? Surely that's not going to be exactly. Sustainable. Exactly, exactly. And you can build in layers of mitigation and layers of layers of risk management, right? So, um, you know, breaking up things into chunks um, so that you're protecting parts of the idea or protecting parts of your money or protecting, protecting parts of your business. Um, you know, isolating the risky bits from like the, the sound bits as well. Like there are, I guess there, there are ways that um, women in underrepresented groups have been doing this for years and so and it's about mitigating the risk managing the risk rather than kind of avoiding all risk because mm. we don't do that we're actually quite good with risk mm. but I feel like risk is this I don't know I don't know maybe it's just the board game or something I don't yeah. know like it just kind of, it's taken on this glamorized feel that I, I you know I, 
is not quite true. Mm, yeah. And I think one more thing you mentioned then was about youth and about, I really love that you said people start, typically they can start their entrepreneurial journey later in life, because I think that as well, what comes with that is reputation and community and network. You know, I think about over the last 12, exactly. 15 years in, in the industry, how many people I've met, how many times you've, you know, you've worked with someone or you've recommended them or they've recommended you and you build this kind of web and people don't always even recognize the strength of their own community and web. And then it's only when sometimes I'll say to them, think of all the people that you know who you could ask to support you with this or that you could help. And you wouldn't, I would not have had that 12 years ago, but now if I exactly. started a business tomorrow, I definitely feel like I'd be in a much better position in terms of my reputation and my, I suppose, community and network to support me and help me. That's the thing. It's all about the community and the network that you build and just the kind of confidence in yourself as well. Like it's just, it, and it's also the credibility that you, that other people forward to you by kind of being in the space. Like it's not, you know, it, it, there's a, so much and we just celebrate kind of youth, 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 and starting off young, and blah, blah, blah. they started a business when they were 10. That's great and everything, but it's just not realistic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like you said, the trust, I think I'm, uh, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of my female friends who are mid thirties, coming up to their forties, they've got ideas to start, you know, whether it's CICs, charities, organizations, work, and it is, yeah, I feel like the team and network that they have around them now, I'm kind of like, mm -hmm. it's just it's exciting, actually. It's really exciting. It's, there's mm -hmm. no feeling of, oh, you're too late or you're too old. It's like, come on. Yeah, it's, it's very exciting. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, okay, let's talk about the power hour a little bit because of course on this show, I love to find out from people what they do in the morning, what motivates them to get out of bed and to continue to do the work that they do. Uh, Melanie, I know that you, you know, your role is, is, is challenging. You know, the work that you do right now is very challenging. And so I'd love to hear, I suppose, what the first hour of your day includes and what time you typically start each day. Okay. So you know, I am not the example today, friends. The reason why is because I have a one-year-old. So, quite frankly. <laughs> That's enough said. Yeah, that's no, that's <laughs> full, full yeah, stop. It's what, so, it's about 6, 6 a.m.-ish. Between 6 and 7 is when he wakes up. And honestly, I would just say um, the one thing I do do is kind of like I'm present with him in those first hours of the day. Like, he just opens up his eyes and he gives me the biggest because I'm like I'm literally the center of his world yeah. and so I, I he just goes like this and I'm like okay and I actually like just change him usually because he's tutored overnight but after that I get it is special time with him and I um and you know play a little bit of music as well to start so we always try to play music because he's he, he loves to dance and kind of move his arms around and stuff and I want to give him kind of body presence and you know centering centering his body presence so that's what we do we i i literally 
look over to the to the crib because usually he's the one that's woken me up and he just puts out his arm and smiles at me like I'm the center of his world and I'm smiling so much. I'm smiling so much because I feel like it's such a beautiful time. And I know that motherhood is also very difficult and often the first months and years are difficult. But I really remember that time when my son was that age, just kind of feeling, you use the word present. And I think children and very, very young infants, they cause you to feel present in a, dif- in a different way that I've never really felt in it's my life yeah. where you're not yeah. rushing. There's no urgency. There's no, cause they don't know time. Yeah. They don't know what five minutes means or one hour means. They don't know. And it really, yeah, I, I'm smiling so much because I think it's such a beautiful way to start your day. Oh my gosh. It is. Enjoy. It's so, it's precious. It really is. And so beforehand though, hmm. and you know, I'm going to try to get back to it. I would say that I, um, the phone is in the other room because I was really good about the phone. Uh, yeah, just kind of uh, electronics in the room. I was an insomniac. Oh. So, well, that, that went away quickly when you had a one-year-old. Very quickly, <laughs> very quickly indeed. I sleep. I can sleep standing up now. It's deep. But I would say that because of the, my quest for sleep, I was quite forensic about sleep. And that means that it was I woke up every time, at the, every day at the same time. Mm. And I also slept on kind of silk sheets, um, like and, and a silk pillowcase as well. Cool room, really, really dark. Woke up at the same time, drank a big dirty glass of water right at the beginning of my day. Um, I also do some sort of like prayer declaration. That's usually while I'm brushing my teeth. Like it's like the teeth brusher mm. as well. One cup of coffee. That's all I have for the whole day mm-hmm. in that first hour. And that's all the while, just because I wanted to make sure that it didn't impact my sleep later on. Mm. And then I used to work out, you know, quite hard. Um, so either walking the dog or something like that. Getting, so all that within a first hour. I haven't managed to do, incorporate the dog walking with the baby yet. So he gets the garden now. Yeah. He's a bit bitter about that. So we'll figure <laughs> that out. But otherwise, I would say I'm waking up at the same time every day, including Saturdays and Sundays has mm. helped me incredibly yeah and it's important we've mentioned this thing around seasons you know within career or within life and again it's the season you know i think sometimes we people think this is my life and i say this is a moment in your life you know this is a season in your life and i think for anyone who has struggled with sleep problems and or insomnia it can be so debilitating and as you know it can kind of almost ruin your life because you kind of it's a habit it can become very you know what time am I going to wake up how much sleep am I going to get it's it's a whole thing and I I think I experienced sleep problems for a short time in my life and it gave me a whole new empathy for people who struggle with sleep but I think both of us are no longer in that season we both now sleep so I also think for people to hear that and say if you're not a good sleeper that doesn't mean don't declare that I'm not a good sleeper and I can't sleep and I'm not someone who can sleep because at the moment you can't but who's to say that you know that won't that won't change and that in the future you'll be able to sleep well to sleep you know deep restorative restful sleep that you didn't even believe was possible and look back and say oh I used to be a troubled sleeper and now I can sleep because I suddenly thought in that time in my life, I thought like, this is it. This is going to be how I'm, you know, forever. And fortunately it wasn't, and it can change. You know, I've used this word a lot, change, 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 change is possible. And I really hope people hear that because now, whether it was because of your one-year-old, you know, your sleep routine has changed, but I'm hoping it's going to stay and you're going to have good sleep. Exactly. Exactly. I will, I, you know, I'm going to try to 
I really want you to give yourself grace, everyone. Um, like that's one of the things that I advocate the most is that it, you, what you are, what you were yesterday is not what you are today and it's not what you're going to be tomorrow and it's okay. And you, you know, I want most of us to have the, just the, most of all to have the flexibility to change and grow with what you need. And sometimes we just kind of lock ourselves into what we should be doing and, blah, 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 blah. and I'm like, oh, it's all right. <laughs> You're like, it'll be all right. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good eventually. Great. Like, it'll be good. But it helps. My partner's a surfer. So, like, our household is a chill spirited household. And I, I, I value him so much for that because he brings a, a different energy to my world. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today no, and for giving us your time and your insight. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure the listeners will yeah. as well. Thank you so much. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in. I will be back next week with another episode. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.